This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. father was captain of a starship for 12 minutes. He saved 800 lives, including your mother's and yours. I dare you to do better. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original series. I am Ken Tripp, and we have an exciting show in store for everyone. But before we introduce the rest of the team today, and on behalf of the entire Standard Orbit crew, I would like to extend our thoughts and our prayers to our Commodore, Norman Lau, as he and his family have lost a dear friend of the family. We miss you, Norm, and you and your family are all on our hearts here for today's show. Beaming in from the Atavacron is our own Mr. Atos, Jeff Harlan. Jeff, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty good, but uh, yeah, that uh, red matter is a little bit of a bumpy ride, though. What happened? Um, you know, just took a little detour on uh, the Atavacron. You know, timelines branch as you go further back and make different choices. I understand. Are you trying to hint at something, Jeff? I think you are. Um, You know, possibly. (laughs) Very good. So Jeff and I are very excited to announce we have a new crew member joining us for the first time on Standard Orbit, and we'll hopefully have a nice long run with us, is Mr. Zach Moore. Welcome, Zach. How's it going, guys? Happy to be here. I'm glad I did my time on the lower decks, and now I'm up here on the bridge, right? That's right. That's right. That's uh, that, that, it's, it's a lot of fun adding new talent to the show, new perspectives. I think it's going to be a good ride. And I know that you've been, you're, you're pretty familiar with podcasting, Zach. So give us a little bit of uh, a bio on you, sir. So for me, uh, for podcasting, I have my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, because Smallville, the young Superman TV show, is my favorite show of all time. Uh, kind of tied with Star Trek, it's hard to say, you know, <laughs> but uh, Star Trek was really, uh, my, both my parents were huge Trekkies, and I grew up on Star Trek, so Star Trek's been part of my life, uh, you know, since I was a kid. Uh, so that, that's like, that was like my inherited fandom, Star Trek, and then the Superman Smallville was like, you know, coming of age fandom, and, and that's what Smallville's about. So I was the same age as Clark Kent on the show Smallville while it was on, so I, I felt a, a connection to it and affinity to it, and that's my favorite uh, TV show. And so that's why I have my own podcast uh, doing that. And then, you know, through the last, you know, year or so, I've been doing behind the scenes stuff on Trek FM and uh, have been on from there to here a lot talking about Star Trek and uh, been on melodic treks a couple times. So um, I've, I've worked my, my much like here, I've worked my way from the lower decks onto onto the uh, behind the microphone uh, for Trek FM. And I'm really happy to, to be a part be a permanent member of the of the crew here. And, you know, just a little bit about me, my Star Trek fandom. You know, I'd say, you know, Star Trek is Star Trek, the original series. You know, that Those are the first things I watch because I, I have a long history in my family from my parents of, of having recorded Star Trek off TV and off VHS tapes and stuff. And that's how we used to watch uh, Star Trek. And uh, but but, you know, if I had my Star Trek would probably be Next Generation because I grew up, you know, as it was on TV. And, I, and so so Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, original series, are like my favorite three three series. And then, uh, you know, I would uh, I would say that Star Trek three is probably my favorite original series movie. And, you know, Savick's my, uh, Robin Curtis is my favorite Savick, you know, so so, (laughs) those are some controversial opinions (laughs) (laughs) that I should just get out there. So, you know, where I'm coming from, but yeah, that's the gist of my, of my Star Trek fandom there. And, uh, just what what I'm all about. So I'm, I'm just really excited to talk about talk about Star Trek on a weekly basis here. This this is really exciting. So. Oh, it's exciting for us too. It sounds like you've got a a very diverse uh, set of opinions, which I think will be a, a real added plus to the show because it, 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 there's a lot of lists out there. People a lot of time follow those lists. We when we started off this this new refit crew, 
Jeff Norman and I really tried to focus on how does this approach with newer fans? Do Should we look at it through a different paradigm? And I think that the way you look at things and what you're bringing to the show fits in beautifully. So it should work out well. So welcome. That's great. Thanks. So for the past several weeks, we've been discussing the original cast movies and navigating towards Star Trek Beyond. Just a few weeks, fellas. And uh, I, I did something. I put the ship on manual override and redirected us around Star Trek Generations. Uh, I heard I heard uh, Zach talking about Generations with Brandon Shea on melodic tracks, and we have a lot in common on that, and I'm glad we have maneuvered around it. Jeff, I never really asked you your opinion on it too, too much, other than I think you said train wreck. I think that's what you said. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I believe I used that word. <laughs> it's it's more than appropriate. and Saucer section wreck. Yeah, yeah. Train wreck with a lot of tankers with volatile chemicals. Anyway, as I wanted to remember, uh, our original cast going out with style with, with, uh, with Star Trek VI, and now we get to discuss the first movie in the new Kelvin timeline, as they call it, Star Trek. And it's just Star Trek, the 2009 rebooted movie. So... Let's start out off right away. Jeff, what was your initial memory of where you were when the movie came out and your initial thoughts? I actually got to go see a screening of it a week before it came out in theaters. Um, they uh, did some screenings over uh, out here where I live in uh, Orange County, California. And uh, I waited in line for a good four or five hours probably to get into this thing because it was first come, first served. And I was the first person in line. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, yeah. You did, um, do, did you actually do like a camp overnight thing? No, I got there just before dawn. <laughs> wow. And nice. Okay. <laughs> I think it was uh, it was like a 10 a.m. showing. So I was there for probably like three or four hours. And okay. Well, I, that's not too, too crazy. No, it's not too bad. But uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, there are a lot of excited people there. I wore one of my red uh, t-shirts with the black collar on it. It's got a picture of Scotty and it says, I'm giving her all I've got. Okay. Very good. And what were your initial thoughts of the film? Um, I was extremely stoked. Um, I loved it. Um, like I've said in the past, you know, the alternate timelines and time travel and all that, it's been part and parcel of Star Trek since the first season. So I had no problems with them going back and making changes and things being radically different as a result. Uh, I loved it. Good, good. So, Zach, what about you? Same question. Well, I saw it uh, the Thursday before it came out because, you know, I, I would have gone to a midnight screening, but, you know, we don't do these anymore. People are people are too lazy to stay up till midnight <laughs> and put that effort in. So they release movies, you know, the previous night, like on the Thursday, like, you know, 7 or 8 o'clock. So I went with a small group of friends and we went and I was the biggest Trekkie of the group. And I, I absolutely loved it. I thought the whole approach was genius where it's a reboot and a sequel and a prequel all at the same time and and they really especially i i and i love the whole movie but especially like the first 15 minutes or so uh, the cold open and then you know spock as a kid and like that is stuff that you had seen in the animated series or read about in books for years and you're finally seeing it up on the big screen it was so awesome to see that realized and uh, and and i thought it was great and it was exactly what star trek needed at the time because it finally you know got it mainstream again uh, you know, we had, you know, Enterprise had been off the air for a few years and nobody was really talking about Star Trek. And, and, you know, now, you know, we're back as a mainstream franchise. This, you know, the success of this movie led to, you know, the uh, HD of Next Generation. So, you know, just across the board, a huge win for me personally and for the franchise, in my opinion. Oh, that's great. I, I didn't realize the, the movie had a lot to do with the, uh, the Blu-rays or the HD for, for, next, for the Next Generation team. That's, that's, that's pretty neat. That's good information. I always learn something when we have these podcasts. Uh, you know, Mr. Ataz, of course, knows everything, but uh, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be able to test your, your, your knowledge as well. There, there's always, as we move there's forward. always room for What's me to learn a few more things. Uh, there was uh, some conversations I've had with Larry Nemechek where I picked up a few new uh, things I didn't know before. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, it's it's a little different when you have somebody who's literally working in uh, <laughs> Paramount and on the set. So I get it. Okay. So let, let's let's kind of get right into this and, and speak specifically to the part of this. This is a time travel movie, right? And that's that's been kind of a successful uh, trope for Star Trek with a thread from the TNG era. So- I guess between you guys, did you read the comic books that outlined the story of the supernova and the effort they made to save Romulus and how this was all coming together with Spock before you saw the movie? Or when were you kind of 
um, I guess, aware of, of all the things that were happening and how it related to where TNG kind of uh, led off to where we are today. Yeah, I totally read all the comics. I, I still do. And um, it was really clever and really well thought out. And you can tell that they worked very closely with the writers of the film uh, on these comics because everything dovetails right into, um, you know, the, the film and the comics work together very closely. And it was really, really well done. And it explained a lot of things that for time and dramatic reasons, they just couldn't go into in the movie. Right. Right. What about you, Zach? Yeah, I read the comics after. Like, I was aware, like, you know, reading reviews and or stories about what the comics were doing, IDW, what they were doing at the time. But I, I usually, my, my policy on most comic books is, is I'll read them all, like, in trade paperback form afterward. So as soon as they release them in trade paperback, I'll buy them and read them all at once. And, uh, I mean, I, I read Countdown. I read the actual comic uh, adaption or adaptation. I always get those two words confused. <laughs> and then also the uh, the Nero spinoff, which actually told the story of what Nero was doing in the, I don't know, what, 30 years that he was in on uh, Repente? 25, uh, there. 25, there we go. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Atos <laughs> there. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that was real cool to see all those elements come together because, you know, uh, being, you know, the uber fans that we are, we all know about, you know, deleted scenes and they're supposed to be Klingons and all this stuff. And all these comic adaptations kind of filled in the gaps of that. And also the whole Next Generation backstory where, like you said, uh, it, it, it dovetails very well into the movie because you didn't need uh the explanation like a lot of movies like like i feel like you know a lot of franchise movies these days you almost have to read the expanded universe material to understand what's going on but in star trek 09 you didn't need it i mean the mind meld that kirk and spock had basically explained everything you needed to know but this just enhanced the material of the movie so if you wanted to dive deeper into like okay what exactly were, what was spock up to and why does nero hate him let's get into that this enhanced that understanding, but it wasn't required reading, which is which is great. It's truly supplementary material, and and I agree uh, with you, Jeff. I, I still read all the comic books once again in trade paperback form after they're released, but I, I really have enjoyed the the Star Trek ongoing is what they call it, the IDW comic series uh, since then. Okay, and and I I agree with you guys. You didn't need to read the comic books. Uh, it did amplify a lot of information, and I thought it it brought together. Uh, and this is where I've I've always kind of struggled with this being a reboot and a new alternate timeline. Um, to me, you know, once this whole thing occurred, the timeline just changed. Period. I'm not into um, multiple universes, but that's just because I'm that's the way I think. It frustrates the heck out of me trying to figure out okay what happens in this universe and that universe or whatnot. In DC Comics, I love all those Superman, Batman, V. I love those movies, but I hate the fact that they're all in different universes, so to speak. But anyway, uh, it, it, I thought it, it really worked well. And I thought it, uh, it, the tie-ins were, were, were well done because it, it gave us a bridge and I thought it was, it was a pretty cool idea to pull, to pull Spock into the mix. I think that, that, that well, was really, really that gave neat. It, that gave it legitimacy, it did. in my opinion. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what they would have yeah. done if Leonard Nimoy said, no, I, I believe, you know, Bob Orsi even said this, like we wrote the script and we had, we had to have Leonard Nimoy say yes or we'd be in big trouble, you know. Now, if they could have worked William Shatner and Kirk in there, that would have been great too. But yeah, you know, that's that's really my only... Because if, if you're have if you doing a movie about an alternate timeline and you know alternate universes and all that, they could have found a way to resurrect Kirk and put him in, put, put William Shatner back in the movie, I think. And they even wrote that scene. There was a scene they wrote that got the lead from the script where Kirk had left Spock a holographic message. And that would have been cool, but it's still... Like it, it wouldn't. I, I, it wouldn't have been enough. Like I, I'm glad. Like they just left it out because it kind of. And it wouldn't even made sense of continuity because I believe the idea was Kirk would have left Spock a message before he was going to Romulus. That's what. That's what the guys explained. I believe that's what the article I read uh, talking about it explained. Like Orsi, but that wouldn't make sense because Spock didn't leave for Romulus until Next Generation era. So uh, anyway, I'm getting yeah. way too deep. Probably. I, I, was, okay. I, I thought it was he had recorded this message. Uh, you know, after uh, the Enterprise A had been decommissioned before he went off to the commissioning for the B and Spock just kept mm -hmm. it with him for like a century. Let's see that. That would probably make more sense. Maybe that's probably what they said, but that, <laughs> I, uh, that would have been cool to see them. And that, that's, that's the one missed opportunity I feel in the entire Kelvin timeline, as it's called now, uh, is not reuniting 
Leonard Nimoy, Spock, and William Shatner's Kirk. They could have done it because I don't care if Kirk died in Generations. It's an alternate universe. It's an alternate timeline. Yeah. Like uh, they could have done something. I don't know what they could have done. But they could have done something. Nexus. There, there's there the is. echo of him in the Nexus. It's <laughs> Guys, still there. No, okay. Now, now, now you went there. Now you went there. Big, you know. First of all, the Nexus is the dumbest plot thing ever created in the history of Star Trek. It makes no sense. It's constantly in motion. How do you fall into it and then just decide to leave it and be back at a certain time when it's already left that area? It makes no sense. Marty, um, you're not thinking fourth dimensionally. That's right. That's absolutely right. Let's just say that um, for all. All the good that uh, the writing duo, uh, duo of Brandon Bragdon and Ron Moore, they, they've, they've, you know, all good things. They've done incredible uh, work. Uh, Battlestar Galactic, you name it. They're, they're super talented. Generations was awful. They should never have killed Kirk. But once he's dead, he's dead. I think it would have been a real stretch to try to bring him back in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and, I did and, you it know, in one it, of the fan fiction stories I wrote. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll read it one of these days. And I read the the, the Shatner novels, The Return, and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, and those weren't very good either. Um, well. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's just sometimes if, you know, it's it's sometimes that happens in life too, right? There, there's people out there that... Um, that have done extraordinary things, and and then they they meet a very untimely and and very odd death that that doesn't really match their success or or what they've done in life. So in from that aspect, I think it would have been really really hard to be believable to bring Kurt back. I think Spock makes sense. They could have brought Picard because he had mind melded with Spock and knew a lot about his history and. Um, that if if Leonard Nimoy had failed, I think it would have been uh, just as good to bring uh, Patrick Stewart uh, in into the fold and, well, and read the come in from that TNG era. Huh? If you read Countdown comics, it was almost Jordy that went into the jellyfish. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So uh, that's I guess where I'm going. So it could have been any of the TNG cast members. I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You, you had. Well, Kirk, yeah. yeah. Kirk's not in it. We got to move on. <laughs> He's. <laughs> we have to accept. He, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, okay, you brought it up, so I, I just couldn't hold my fire any longer. I just. Oh, <laughs> yeah. One of these days, uh, I think we'll have a nice uh, cross. Uh, uh, cross podcast with our friends at Earl Grey, and we can really get into generations. I think, and 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 that would be that would be fun. Although it could be bloody. Okay, <laughs> so th- this movie um, that brought that brought us from the prime timeline to this new timeline was an origin story, right? It really was, and 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 I'm I'm curious in your opinion did did the team get it right? Did they did they find a very clever and neat way of pulling Kirk, Spock, and the entire crew together? With all the changes that happened in the timeline, it required a lot of coincidences for these people to come together. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it did require a lot of coincidences, but one could argue that fate is fate. Uh, and though things get uh, jumbled when when there's a, um, an added ingredient f- into the mix, it still all came together. But uh, I'm curious if, if you, you know, did you like the fact that... Um, you know the the way Kirk was born, and and the way they met up at the academy, and the Kobayashi Maru, and and all the other cast of characters. What what did you think? Did they did they get it right? Did they did they pull a story together that you know um, was was believable? And, and I think for know, the most that, part that, that worked. Really that's where I'm well. going. Yeah, um, I mean it was uh, interesting to see that one of the apparent ripples from the changes in the timeline was that Spock was instead of being out on the Enterprise with Pike, he was an instructor at the Academy now and so he had a much earlier interaction with uh, all these people while they were still cadets and Kirk, because of all the circumstances, didn't go into the Academy until much later so he was like a classmate with some of the younger characters I I thought that that was interesting yeah, it's, it's hard to say if they got it right, because with all the changes in the timeline, clearly it's going to be different than what we had understood about the original series and their history. Because, you know, part part of the thing I, I love so much about Kirk versus Picard, like their characters was, you know, when Kirk was younger, he was like Picard. When he was older, he was, you know, the stack of book with legs that they talk about in Where No Man Has Gone mm-hmm. Before. You know, he was very studious. He, he really uh, it was kind of, uh, he really it was a real struggle for him to break the prime directive. You know, he wasn't the caricature of. <laughs> of himself that people believe he is now um 
And as he got older, he became the the rule breaker, the rogue, the rebel, the womanizer. Uh, that's that that was part of his character shift. And but Picard was the opposite. You know, he was he was you know the the rogue, the womanizer, the the break all rules, devil may care kind of character until he had his uh, uh, he got his heart stabbed, in which they explore in Tapestry, uh, that episode of Next Generation. So and then he became the very stoic, like okay, rules and all that. So I like that reversal. But this whole alternate timeline kind of throws it out the window. And without Kirk's father being around. Uh, played by Thor, which is pretty cool, by the way. <laughs> uh, I really, I really liked that. Uh, that was that was uh, Chris Hemsworth before in his pre-Thor days, beardless Thor. Um, with him not being around to be an influence on his life, you know, it makes sense that that he would be, you know, kind of a literally the rebel without mm-hmm. a cause, right? That's the, that's the plot line they went for with Young Kirk, and that makes sense. And I don't, I don't disagree with it, um, but I, I do feel like it, 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 it kind of played into the stereotypes that society has of captain kirk which aren't necessarily true you know people think oh yeah kirk he was shooting up uh aliens and sleeping with women and it's like if you really break down the original series he really didn't do it that much he was a much more sophisticated thinker he was a lot so. uh, more by the book most of the time mm-hmm. yeah the movie it's the movie kirk people are thinking oh yeah he stole the enterprise and he did this he did that he got his he got bumped down from admiral to captain but uh but uh, the the actual origin stories, you know, to answer your question, Ken, about everybody. That's why I loved the first chunk of this movie so much because we saw Spock as a child uh, studying on Vulcan. It, it called back to Star Trek Four, where he's answering all the questions like correct, 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 all these all these very complicated uh, th- uh, things. And then and then him at the Vulcan Science Academy, and we saw why he turned down being at the Vulcan Science Academy because they made it slight to his mom. Uh, and and you know his and that's a that's a theme this whole movie like like. Spock's relationship with his mother and how her death really just drives him off uh, the edge there and you know that kind of stuff worked very well you know and then about all the crew coming together they were a little separated you know Scotty was off on Delta Vega which is I guess it's a de- different Delta Vega than from where no man has gone before but whatever uh, but uh, you know Spock's presence and is the one that brought Scotty in with the crew and then you know the, the whole Nero messing everything up uh, brought the whole I, I never quite and you mentioned this Ken was Spock not the first officer on the Enterprise until just then? Because I know he had done the Kobayashi Maru, but it seemed like him and Pike had a pre-established relationship of some kind. Yeah, they definitely did. And and I I assume that, um, that they were part of the commissioning crew. And a lot of times what you'll have when um when you have ships being built or being commissioned or whatever is that uh you'll have you'll have a dedicated team that's up there doing the construction but a lot of the other people will be doing other things and so i took it for granted that uh spock had been assigned as the xo all along uh that they were kind of like doing what they were doing in star trek 2 which was getting a new crew for the ship and a lot of them coming right out of the academy it helped right. it helped me reconcile a couple of things that didn't make a lot of sense uh you, you know when when Ahura's coming out of an academy, she's an ensign, right? When it, it doesn't matter um, if if you're not or a midshipman or a cadet, I guess in Starfleet, it, the the range of ranks and all that stuff made no sense at all. Um, for mm-hmm. for every if you're all a student, then that's what you are. Same thing with McCoy should have been an ensign, Kirk an ensign. All these guys, um, did they all get field commissions? Maybe is that? <laughs> no, yeah, no. All, all I can no, figure is like no, they got breveted. No. So it, it, I'm trying to justify. I'm sorry, it. So, okay. I was just thinking. Yeah. Well, maybe it, it, it got. It just doesn't like work. A, now, yeah. now Sulu was assigned to the ship, and he had already been through the academy, right? He was a lieutenant, and he was doing his thing. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. But um, at any rate, I, I I think they they did a really good job of the way they they pulled the team together overall. I thought I thought it worked out beautifully, and uh, you know those are the little technical things that. Um, being a, a Navy guy and understanding how things work and how what's supposed to happen when you leave an academy and, and who's whom and all that stuff. Those are the things that drive me crazy from a technical aspect and most Trekkies crazy too because we're all kind of technical people. Mm-hmm. We like we like to have our history jibe and for things to make sense. And that's where J.J. doesn't get it. Um, he, 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 he just doesn't. And, the, and most of the writers in the Star Trek movies didn't get it they just didn't you know they they didn't they just they wrote what they wrote and this is the way it is and yeah make this guy this rank make this guy that it doesn't matter they can sit anywhere it doesn't matter and it shouldn't matter it just does to us (laughs) why i have no idea but that's what happened yeah i was thinking that if i had written that part of it i would have gone about it slightly differently instead i would have had 
Kirk go to the Academy earlier like he did in the original timeline, but then have him as Pike's XO. And then when all this stuff happens, Kirk takes over as captain. You know, then he's all... That would have made know, a lot more sense than going know, from cadet yeah, to captain. At, at that point, sure. maybe, you know, he would have been a lieutenant commander and it's a little easier to see him get bumped up in rank instead of jumping straight from cadet to captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was a third year. I mean, mm-hmm. he wasn't even... Yeah, it, it was mm-hmm. it was kind of strange. It was also strange that all these people, all these cadets uh, were deploying to the fleet in an emergency, right? And um, But that might, that might be how they do it in, in Starfleet. I haven't read enough of the books that would indicate that um, it doesn't work like the Navy does. You graduate, then you get your orders. Maybe they're they're pre-assigned based on their their job functions or qualifications, and you know the these ships are assigned X amount of new crew members and and off they go. I I, I don't know. Anyway, doesn't matter. I, I it it's <laughs> it still worked well. So let's let's move on to another piece here. What were your thoughts around Nero? I mean, was he a good villain? And and also, how do you reconcile the amount of time that passes from the Kelvin incident to when Spock arrives on the scene? We'll start with you, Jeff. Um, well, um, I've heard Nero described and perhaps accurately as the uh, space trucker uh, with uh, yeah. um, with uh, um, you know somebody just suddenly gave him an ICBM. Uh, uh, basically, I mean he's he he's a nobody in uh, you know the twenty fourth century Romulan society. And all of a sudden, he just gets this massively weaponized ship that gets taken back in time accidentally. And, you know, he he is just completely nuts. And I think from that perspective, it worked because his plan was just completely insane and made no sense at all. But this guy is not a military commander, so that makes sense that his plan made no sense at all. Okay. Zach? Yeah, he was, he was, oh, sorry. Yeah, he was kind of, he was there. He served his function in the plot. I mean, they needed an adversary and, you know, at least time travel, you know, as we've, as we've said here, it, it happens a lot in the Star Trek movies and it's a great, it happens a lot in Star Trek period. You know, I, I liked how it was accidental here. You know, it wasn't some big plan of like, oh, we're going to go back in time and, and kill James D. Kirk before he was born. You know, I know that was you know, uh, you know Skynet style, right? But <laughs> right. they just happened to find they happened to find themselves in you know the 23rd century. Like in the first scene, it's established that they don't know what's going on. They're looking for Ambassador Spock, and you know uh, Captain Robal's like, I'm not familiar with Ambassador Spock. You know, uh, so you're right. Nero is he's crazy. I mean, he's very he's very con. I mean, you know, he, his wife is dead. You know. Uh, he he has a personal vendetta against Spock. He even shouts Spock at some point uh, near the climax of the film. So he's very he uses the SETI eels, right? So so they're clearly they're clear or centurion slugs, yeah. right? Uh, so they're clearly uh, borrowing from Rathacon with him. And, and you know that, but this this is an origin story. You know this is an origin story of the crew. This this story is about Kirk and Spock. This story is not about the villain. So. I mean, did you want to spend more time with him? He's he's not that interesting a guy. I mean, like like you said, he's he's a space trucker, right? He's a miner. He doesn't have some some epic backstory. Um, although although I would say, you know, to speak about spending more time with him, they did film all these scenes with him on Ruaprente, uh, or at least a couple of scenes that established what he was doing. You know, for the, for the twenty five years it was after Narada showed up and until Spock showed up, and um, that's something I would have liked to see. You know, just to flesh him out a little bit as a character in the film. Now, the, the spinoff comics, they're, they're, there's an actual spinoff comic, Star Trek Nero, and it talks about, you know, them on Ruripente and him doing all these calculations about, you know, how to access the ship and the, then the Narada and the, and the Borg technology calls out to his Vulcan side and he has this symbiotic relationship with Narada and they actually go, like, during during the, the span and, and after they break out of Ruripente to when they meet up with Spock, they explain how he even figured out where Spock would be because of... Uh, the Narada having Borg technology, uh, it was somehow connected to V'ger. So I guess they're going through the whole Shatnerverse uh, storyline of how V'ger went to the machine planet and was connected to the Borg. So they're tying all these, you know, as what that's what Star Trek uh, Expanding Universe loves to do, right? Connect all the dots. So he goes and finds V'ger, and that's how he finds uh, where Spock's going to come out. So that's very interesting. I'm glad they left that for the comic. I think if you start putting stuff like that in the movie, you're really going to start to turn off <laughs> the and greater it audience. It's really down the middle deep of the movie stuff. Too. <laughs> Yeah, that would have slowed the pace to a crawl if they'd put that in the movie. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't. I think that uh, Nero, like you said, he he wasn't all that interesting, but his impact was enormous. And um, that's, I guess that's the, one of the things that, that can't be understated. Uh, he did real damage. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of plot lines where villains are about to do something catastrophic, and at the last minute, they solve it, and it looked like they were going in that direction. Like they would stop the drilling on Vulcan. And very heroic, you know, the, the dive scene and all that stuff. And they failed. And uh, and it, it, it just shows that, that, that Nero's impact is something that wasn't trivial. And his um, his quest to, to take out the Federation one planet at a time was very, very real. Yeah, and, I remember it, uh, it, I was, it re- I was sitting in the, uh, the theater during the scene where Vulcan's about to be destroyed. And I remember seeing in the previews the shot of the planet imploding. And I'm mm-hmm. watching this and I'm like, oh my God, they're about to destroy Vulcan. Because I didn't think they were actually going to go through with it. I thought it was, you know, in the preview, it was another planet being destroyed. And then in the movie, we're getting to this point. And I was just, oh man, it's 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 Vulcan that's, that was uh, happening too. That was pretty huge. When, um, mm-hmm. when, when Chekhov was looking at the screen and, and they're asking him how much time is left and he just looks back and he says, minutes. Um, yeah. And there's no, you know, quick techno babble on how to reverse it fix it do whatever i was shocked i I was really shocked so it was it was a pretty ballsy thing to do Mm -hmm. i think to take out vulcan and you know we've we've had the i guess we've talked about it a lot on the show you know oh let's blow up the enterprise and let's blow up the enterprise and we could always blow up the enterprise right i mean it's just something (laughs) they do all the time and in this case they didn't blow up the enterprise They, they they took out an entire planet and that was Star Wars ask right? It's like Alderaan, yeah. you know, like that's except you care more about Vulcan than Alderaan. Oh, a hell of a right? lot more. Yeah, that's what I mean. It <laughs> and was, it also it was just very real. That, uh, you know, this new timeline, anything goes, and none of the crew is safe. I mean, they could kill them all off if they wanted. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, anything could happen, and that and that's the great because people complain about Star Trek. It's oh, it's so old. It has all these continuity. It's it's really restrained to the storytelling. And this was the perfect way out of that to to just say, look, this is a clean slate from this point in time forward. Anything can happen. Anything's fair game. And destroying Vulcan is other than destroying Earth, right? Which they would never do, right? Uh, destroying Vulcan is the next most powerful thing as far as, as the Star Trek universe goes. Mm-hmm. It's probably the second most important mm-hmm. planet. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was powerful. Okay. So in, in watching this this new movie, guys, and obviously they they updated a lot of things, obviously out of necessity. Uh, if you look at how much technology has improved just in the last decade, never mind 15, 20 years since some of the last Star Trek shows started, and in, in take away the aesthetic from 1966, uh, really radical changes uh, across the board in in terms of everything, size, scope, and everything. So, what were your what were your thoughts around the design of the of the Federation ships and the Enterprise in particular, and the technology that was introduced, and how they kind of mixed in the practical effects and the lens flares, and how the sets looked? I'm I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, the lens flares gave me a headache, but. <laughs> Um, okay. I, I can see why they would want to update everything. There's no way that they would want to make a movie that looked like it was made in the 60s. Um, and you also have an in-use, in-universe explanation for why things look different all of a sudden because they've got all the sensor scans from the Kelvin shuttles from when the Narada attacked and 25 years of development time to make something based on that information that they had from that. And that could oh, I never radically thought of it change. from that perspective. That could radically change everything about the the ships going forward from, uh, in that point. And the Narada being the size that it was could also explain their insistence on making the uh, the Enterprise so massively huge in this new timeline. But even the Kelvin was pretty big. Yeah, um, but we never had over eight hundred people on but it. But we'd right? never it seen yeah. that class before on Star Trek, so it, you know. Maybe it was always like that, and it was just an aberration to have a ship that big up until that yeah. point. But did you like it, Jeff? <laughs> I understand it. Um, it took me a little while to uh, really like it. Um, I, I still think that the uh, the design was a little too race car um, for uh, for the ship. But, uh, I mean, they, 
it, it was still a, close enough that I appreciated what they did. I mean, about the only thing that I really hated was the position of the neck and the saucer in relation to the secondary hull. Okay. All right. I mean, Zach, it, your it, thoughts? It just didn't look in the right spot compared to the original. I got you. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that criticism of the, the new Enterprise design. It looks a little smushed. Yeah. Um, there's not enough space. Like the whole point of, of separating them in the cells in the star drive section was because they warp mm-hmm. space and you want to keep that away from the ship. That was the whole idea. Uh, so I agree with that. Other than that, really, I, I don't have any complaints about the new aesthetic. I thought, obviously, this is a new timeline. This is a new, well, all, all in-universe stuff aside, this is a new brand of Star Trek, right? So, of course, it's going to look different. It's not, not going to, we were so used to watching you know, the Berman era of Star Trek for so long, the 21st century. You're reusing sets for 20 years. Stuff looks the same. So this is a brand new from square one look i mean just the same as when they jump from the original series to the motion picture that's unrecognizable so uh it's the same it's the same thing here if i had one and i and i liked i liked all the, the designs if i had one complaint outside of you know that minor complaint about the enterprise we just said if i had one real complaint it would be the phasers right phasers in star trek they create beams and that's that's very distinctive to star trek i don't know of many other sci-fi or fantasy worlds that have beam weapons that come out like that for guns. Um, come out that for guns. The problem with the new Star Trek is it's like pew, pew, pew. You know, you have little like basically blasters in people's hands and that's not the, what the Star Trek handheld weapon is. The Star Trek handheld weapon is you have a, you have an item in your hand and you shoot it and a beam comes out and you shoot someone and it's very distinctive. When you see that, you think Star Trek. But now they're just very generic sci-fi action. It could be Terminator, Aliens, Robocop, right? Whatever you want to call it. The the new phasers are pretty interchangeable. And I wasn't really the biggest fan of that. And there's no reason to do that. Like, I don't, does that save them special effects money? Just having to show a little dot instead of a beam? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that's a concern. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I, I really did uh, like the the visual flair that JJ put into it. And to the lens flares, I think people give him too hard a time about that. I think it creates a it creates it creates a visual just environment. You know, you when you see that you think, oh, that's Star Trek. That's the new Star Trek. And it's a joke now. But when you see the lens flares, that look is the same. And I and um, I wonder how many lens flares are gonna be in Star Trek Beyond, because you know we got Justin Lin running the ship now, but I think there will be some visual continuity between them and we'll, we'll get some lens flares in star trek beyond so. yeah and well there weren't that many in in the next movie uh into yeah. darkness they, to they be cut honest back but, on the uh, the lens flares for uh, into darkness yeah and, yeah they cut back uh-huh. quite a bit but i think that um in, in my opinion the the ships you know i i like bigger and 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 better ships I, I really do and but i like you guys i kind of struggled a little bit with the new enterprise i love the uh, the primary hull because my favorite ship of all time is the refit enterprise it's the it's mm-hmm. the best looking Mine of too. them all and so they 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 kept that same primary hull design almost exact just bigger in scale and they changed the lettering so that it it wasn't so um it, it, it didn't look like the movie. It looked like the TV show. So they, they took the, the lettering of the TV show, the design of the movie, and kind of had that cross-pollination. And then the ship itself, overall, like you, I had the same kind of complaints. It was it was big, um, but it was tight in, in, the, in the secondary hull. Uh, even though it was much bigger, didn't have that much room. Everything was just so tied together. But at any rate, uh, you know, it's funny. You, you mentioned the phasers, Zach. I actually like the phasers a lot. I like how it switched from... <laughs> (laughs) from from blue to red depending if you were doing stun or kill i thought that was kind of a neat function you know it's probably a smart visual thing because i do feel like the other phasers might have been a little confusing and that's not something you want to be confused about yeah it was it was actually very clear and i I never really caught that they were just blasting out there because having watched the show a lot and uh i never we never really saw a lot of phaser fire in the movies we saw a little here and there It, it seemed to vary uh from from episode to episode whether it was a phaser beam whether it was kind of a, a circular thing or just a big bright light and everybody falls down, <laughs> you know, so it's it's a little out there. So, but I, I, I respect what you're saying there. I thought the sets. I love the new bridge. I love the fact that they have a window and a screen. I thought that was that was I did that like was that. pretty cool, yeah. you know, and that you could look in on them. Uh, it just it just made things. Uh, uh, you know, they, they definitely could do more in 2009 with those kind of effects. And I, I think they took full advantage of it. So it was, it was fun to watch. I, I, I enjoyed the aesthetic. I, I really did. And, and, uh, you know, I think of, um, 
uh, a Tommy Crafts movie, Horizon. He used a lot of that same kind of aesthetics. Uh, even though he was using the Enterprise era, he kind of had a J.J. feel to it. And he, I think he did a nice job um, pulling from J.J. into the Enterprise era and uh, and combining it. And it, it, it reminded me a lot when I watched his movie. So just me. Okay. Um, yeah. The score. One thing, one what? Thing I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. One thing I was thinking about the phasers, though, was, you know, maybe the difference between the bolt and the beam is just how long you hold the trigger down. You know, Oh, there you go. They're, they're, they're fanboy justification is what we're all about here as Trekkies. Right? Jeff, Jeff does this all the time. <laughs> That's what I love about it. Kind of he does this all the time. Well, what if they just, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. Is, you know, if, is it rapid fire or is it, is it one contained bolt? So I like right. that. I also like the, um, the phaser pulse cannon type things that they have uh, on the Kelvin as well as the Enterprise when they were taking mm-hmm. out those missiles. It's, uh, I, thought, I thought that was pretty neat. It, it, it seems more realistic to me for a bigger starship to have uh, many more batteries than the few that they had on the, on the original series and in the, uh, in the movies. But uh, I thought it was pretty effective. I thought it added some, some pretty cool nuance to the Enterprise. Mm. So, okay. So the score... Um, boy, you know, we, 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 we have melodic tracks. We talk a lot about the music and it has such a big impact. Now, Michael Giacano was, uh, Giacchino, Kino or Kano, I'm not sure. Uh, I call him Michael G to be Michael safe, G. That's I... what I put in the notes too. Did Michael G meet expectations? So what did you guys think of the music, uh, for Star Trek? I, I, I love I the music. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think obviously Star Trek has no music continuity when it comes to the movies. You got different composers every other movie. You know, I, I think the Jerry Goldsmith theme is the last the longest just because he was in both the original series and Next Generation movies, and that became the Next Generation theme. But uh, you know, I um I like it. You know, it's 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 a, it's a tough sell whenever you're going to have a new theme for an established franchise. You know, whenever there's a new Batman or a new Superman theme, you're like, okay, what's this going to be? Is it going to measure up to what's come before? But uh, yeah, I really got swept away in the and the emotion of, of the of the score and i think uh, michael g is like the he is the the next john williams i feel and i think a lot of people feel that way as well so i'm happy to have him as part of the the star trek franchise and and then of course they mixed in the uh the the original series theme you know in in throughout the movie i think when they first you know fly up to see the enterprise and they they beam kirk and spock back off the narada you know like dun 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 so that was cleverly inserted and then of course we hear it in full blast for the for the end credits so i i yeah, i love the musical score for Star Trek yeah it was really well done and um you know it brought out the right emotions for the right time for each scene i mean the that opening scene i mean it's just really powerful particularly because of the music yeah i agree i think the uh that whole battle with kind of a, a very melodic, sad tone with all this action and explosion and Kirk being born, uh, boy, it just pulled your emotions. And, uh, and, and then, you know, as it, as it goes, as it, as it, as it dissolves from, from the shuttles fleeing the scene and the, and the Narada getting seriously beat up, um, to, to the big, you know, Bum bum bum! Beginning of the movie with the with the Star Trek logo coming in, I I thought that 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 he did a great job with the whole thing and, and gave it a very much of its own its own feel to the film. And I'm glad that they they've kept it for all three. I think it was a, it was a good part of of the first two movies anyway in, in this new universe. And, and he's also and scoring GK. the third one, so you can yeah. That's what I mean. I love assured. that continuity. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. yeah. Rest pretty well. Rest assured that he's going to keep that that main theme for the third one as well yeah okay all right so i think we're we're aligned there so so fellas let me uh let me ask you your your final thoughts on star trek uh i, I don't know did the, was it star trek 09 is that how it's abbreviated when people talk about <laughs> right. it yeah that's been my experience okay yeah. st09 so um so jeff let's start with you what were your what were your final thoughts in terms of this movie your, your kind of your overall rating and, and some of the things that we didn't discuss that you'd like to hit on well like i said i got to see that early screening and i was so incredibly stoked that i just went on a you know social media not too long after that wrote a blog post and just gushed about the movie you know it was you know practically embarrassing the uh, the amount of praise that i heaped on this movie um but I really enjoy it, and I still go back and watch it frequently. Um, it's, you know, of all of the uh, the Star Trek movies, it's up there in probably my top three. Um, yeah. 
You know, I mean, about the only ones that I might enjoy more would be, you know, two and six. Okay. That's pretty high praise. Exactly. Your thoughts. I, I love it. I, I don't know where it would rank in regards to the other, you know, the original 10 movies. It would definitely be up in the top half, but it's hard. It's hard to kind of mix in, you know, the, the Kelvin timeline here and the prime universe uh, together as far as rankings go. But I, I, I love this movie. I, I felt like, especially, you know, we were just talking about the, the opening, the opening scene, the cold open of the movie that, that might be my favorite scene in like all of Star Trek for real, because I just feel like it just hit so many emotional levels and action levels and it just just such a great piece of of cinema right uh and then you finally star trek has had the budget it always deserved i mean i I, the motion picture had a huge budget and you know you saw parts of it but it was all you know it was slow and it was it was beautiful but it was slow but you know now like star trek has the budget to really show you the the big space battles and and be in the same league as is you know the star wars of the world which is great and, you know, this movie had a lot on its shoulders. It had to re- resurrect what had been, you know, kind of a dead franchise for a few years. Had to win over all the, you know, the mainstream audience, which it did. And then win over, you know, us, the Trekkies, the people who are just going to nitpick things to death, you know. <laughs> and, you know, we've, we've talked here in our conversation about things maybe we would have done differently or, oh, why they do this? I think they should have done that. Or, you know, that's just weird. Why do they do this? And, but that's what we do as fans. But at the end of the day, you know, I love this movie and it, it's so important. It's, it's such an important, you know, it's a touchstone in, like, the history of Star Trek as you look back on these 50 years of what were big, important moments, right? Uh, the motion picture was one of them. Next Generation Launching was one of them. This is one of them because now Star Trek is back in the public consciousness. You know, it, it's reestablished itself as a franchise. We would not be sitting here podcasting about, you know, Trek FM in the form that it is probably wouldn't exist if not for Star Trek 09. Uh, so there's so much that 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 was relying on this movie, and this movie delivered it. And it was a critical success. It was a financial success. It was just an overall success, and I loved it personally. So I, it's it's one of my favorite films as well. All right, well that that sums it up well for me. It, it was it was a fast action picture. It contained some very powerful moments and emotion. It had a Star Wars esque feel in terms of pacing, but I think the specific scenes of of Kirk's birth. The loss of Vulcan, the discussions with Sarek, the loss of Spock's mothers, and and the fight that that Spock and Kirk had on the bridge when he was emotionally compromised contained a lot of heart. It was balanced very well, and and I enjoyed the film too. It it ranks very high on my list. I I don't know if it tops Star Trek the Motion Picture for me, but it's 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 up to that level because it was the first one since Star Trek the Motion Picture. To your point, Zach, that had the money and had that um, you know that real cinematic feel. I have felt that all the movies after Star Trek, the motion picture, to varying degrees, were very, very good. Uh, but their budgets were tight and, and they felt like longer TV episodes, maybe with some added special effects and so forth and different lighting and, and, and things along that. Didn't mean that they weren't great or good, just didn't have that feel. And this one felt like this is Star Trek on the big screen and and they did it right. So I I am in alignment with both of you. I, I was really excited to see it. I do love watching it and uh and I always will because this is the treatment that I was hoping that Star Trek would always get. You know, I, I think it was a two hundred million dollar budget, I wanna say. Uh and I think the second one was two fifty. I mean huge dollars. Uh a huge amount of risk for the uh for paramount to put that kind of money into something and you know sitting there with their fingers crossed going boy i hope i hope people like this because uh <laughs> it, it really had to earn its money and and one thing about this movie and to to a great extent with star trek into darkness too it w- they were the the most successful international uh star treks mm. star trek just didn't have that much appeal overseas and it didn't none of the movies previously did really particularly well overseas germany england japan a little bit but but not really very strong until these two came out so uh it it definitely helped them uh, write their, their well, balance why sheet you, why do you think that is like what about these movies appeal to the overseas audience you think more than the rest i would have to guess that it would be the pacing and the action and I don't know how well all the dialogue and techno babble translates all the time into to different languages. And because of the continuity and the history, there's a lot of references in there for fans for this. You could go into these two movies, especially, well, especially Star Trek 09, because it's an origin story that has a tether to TNG in that era. But really, it plays well on its own. And it's, it's a whole new generation following from the beginning. 
not like a lot of us that, uh, for me in particular, that really discovered Star Trek in earnest in 1979. It was easy for me to go back, watch all the uh, original episodes before they started making new ones and kind of follow along. So I think that that's probably the biggest thing is that um, it was it was kind of an, an American, you know, uh, a TV show. It was an American-type movie. This one, you know, really introduced it where, where Star Wars was from the beginning, you know, it was global uh, to a large degree wow. in, in, its, in its scale and how it sold. And, you know, we had a lot of actors in the original series that spoke with different dialects, but they were all American or Canadian. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so a little bit different. I don't know. That's my thought. Yeah, the, yeah. The diversity of the cast, probably too. I mean, you had Zoe Saldana as Uhura. Is is you know the big three in these movies are Kirk, Spock, and Uhura, right? So yep. yeah, a little bit <laughs> that's different. Probably a huge factor too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I agree. Okay, so that's that. That's that's our wrap on two thousand and nine, and we've got a Mister. He stumped Mister Atos question this week, and it's been a little quiet there, Jeff. We haven't done this in a while. Mm. I hope you've been studying your own website, Trekopedia, and 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 you're up to speed. Uh, and and I'm I'm really thrilled that that we got this question in. So I guess the question is, are you ready? I think so. Okay. So this comes from our our friend and host from Melodic Treks, Brendan Shea Motala. The question is, what is the name of Chief O'Brien's tarantula? <laughs> oh, I know this. He's deep in thought. <laughs> well, I don't know what it is either, so it's all good. <laughs> He's done this to us before. When we were ready to just say, okay, 10 more seconds, he came up with the damn answers and blew us away. So he does have an yeah, uncanny. I know the scene. I'm trying to think. He's playing the episode in his head, folks. Yeah. He's got it on fast forward. <laughs> Smoke coming out of the headphones. There's people yelling at their iPhones and radio <laughs> oh. connectors right now trying to, to encourage you with this answer. Oh, Christina. Man. That's right. See, he does this all oh, the time. Christina. So you literally just went through the whole dang episode in your head, didn't you? Well, just that scene. That's amazing. That's amazing. It it was, uh, he does this. Oh, yeah, was, yeah. Like he was introducing the the spider to uh, I think it was Barkley, Sparkly. yeah, because like yeah. trying to help him deal with his fears or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was the episode where he was yeah. afraid of the transporter. Yeah. <laughs> man, oh man. Okay. Well, 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 well done. Well done, guys. So, anyway, it's been it's been a great time discussing Star Trek here on Standard Orbit. But this isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek.fm this week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, The Ready Room. 50 years, there's been something to carry it this far. In that yeah. vein of, hey, it's our, it's our generation or our era's mythic heroes that we can look up to. Do we dare put that in something that's lasted as long as... You know, literary-wise, Shakespeare and some of the other myths of of you know the ancients that have found a purpose and a use that still speak to people. Women at warp. Admiral Alan Alda came to visit Captain Coretta Scott King. <laughs> Meanwhile, morale officer Beyonce is uh, trying to deal with her new Weasley sweater and. <laughs> They're all partying at the first contact party. Stage 9, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. I'm going to take a moment just to say Stage 9 here on the Trek FM Network is the only show I'm aware of where you're going to hear somebody get this upset about camera technology. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So, Jeff, please tell all of our listeners how they can access all avenues to Trek FM and how to find Trek FM. Well, you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and, of course, you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at trek.fm, and you can grab the RSS link there as well. 
And if you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes, and it helps us to increase our visibility for new listeners. Thank you, Jeff. So now we want to talk quickly about Patreon. Patreon is the service Trek FM employs to receive donations from our listener support for our listener supported network. Uh, we're all um, donors to the network, everyone on this show, and we appreciate whatever you can afford to help us with to bring you interruption free podcasting. So if you could, please log into Patreon. That's P A T R E O N dot com slash Trek FM. And see the perks you can receive for the level of donations you can afford to give. And they include exclusive content. Uh, $25 will get you AP producer credits. And $15 a month will get you a seat on the patron round cha- round table that's hosted by Will Wynn and Aaron Harvey uh, twice a month. So all of us at Trek FM and Standard Orbit appreciate any and all the support that you can give us. And when we talk about Patreon, we, we would be totally remiss if we didn't acknowledge our associate producers for Standard Orbit. I mean, these folks do so much for us. And it, 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 to me, it's always very humbling uh, that people want to be associated with this show in, in that capacity. So thank you, Renee Roberts, Richard Rutledge, and Aaron Harvey. Uh, all of your support is, is huge. And if you want to reach out to any of them, you can find Renee on Twitter at MRES underscore 1701. Richard Rutledge is Richard at RUT8972. And Aaron Harvey is at Geek Filter. So, uh, speaking of Aaron, if you want to wear his fantastic Trek FM designs, you can find them on redbubble.com. Just type in Trek FM into the search field, and you will find some extraordinarily uh, clever and very talented uh, t shirts and coasters. And I think we just saw a pillowcase uh, that was just that was yeah. just shown on um, on the Babel conference, but. I tell you, he, he has got a, a very unique talent, and I'm, I'm always jealous of people that can do things like that because um, beyond stick figures, I'm, I'm in trouble. So uh, if, if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me on the Babel Conference. That's, that's where I hang out. I don't have any social media, as I say. Each and every week, I do not have anything really that important to say beyond the, the Babel Conference and talking about things Star Trek. So uh, I look forward to... Um, to communicating with you there. If you have a stump of Mr. Atos question, kindly just PM me from the Babel Conference for me, or you can friend me on Facebook if you'd like. Uh, always welcoming new friends and especially uh, people from the Brotherhood and Sisterhood of Star Trek to communicate with and send me your question. If you are able to stump Mr. Atos, I will buy you the Red Bubble t-shirt of your choice and uh, absolutely free. So, so I, I, I appreciate you, Jeff. You've you've saved me uh, quite a bit of money uh, the last three times. <laughs> I mean, your your averages are getting up there. So, Zach, how can uh, how can our fans and listeners find you, sir? Well, on the network, uh, you can find me on From There to Here, which is our 50th anniversary rewatch project through all 729 episodes of Star Trek. I'm on quite a few episodes of those. Uh, some that have passed, some that are coming up. Uh, you can also find me. You know, I pop into the Babel Conference and comment on things as as I'm compelled to. And uh, for me personally, on Twitter, you can find me at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. That's my last name and my first name. I'm not a moron, so I, I feel the need to explain that when I <laughs> tell that's a new audience. I would say that's very wise <laughs> to explain that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, well, thank you, thank you. Uh, and then, uh, as, as I referenced earlier, I have my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, and we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman TV show, and you can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. Excellent. Okay, and Jeff, how do they find you, sir? Well, if you don't have access to an Atavacron or even a red matter induced black hole, uh, you can always find me on the Babel Conference on Facebook. I'm the co-host here on the network for both Standard Orbit and for Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise show. I'm also on Twitter at Harlander, and I'm a supporter of the network through Patreon. You can also check out my website. It's been called The Grand Unified Theory of Star Trek at trekopedia.com and my independent comic books at bandwidthcomics.com or search on Facebook for Bandwidth Comics. And if you'd like to get in touch with Norm, uh, unfortunately, like I said, our shipmate couldn't join us this week. You can always find him here on the network. He's on the Babel Conference. He's probably one of the uh, the most uh, 
easily uh, able to reach out to and he communicates all the time. Norm, Norm really cares passionately about the show and all things Babel Conference. He's an administrator there, so as well as an executive producer of the network. So Norm's got some clout. Uh, you can find him on the, on, on the Facebook listeners page and you can find him on Twitter at Starfighter1701. So thanks everyone for listening and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. 